Well, this morning, I invite you to take God's Word and open it to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, as we're continuing our study through this Gospel, Luke 18. This morning, our verses before us is verse 18 down to verse number 30 of Luke 18. Uh, As we read that, I'd like to ask that you would stand out of reverence for God's Word if you are able this morning from uh, Luke, again, 18, beginning in verse 18, Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and here is what he says. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, looking at him with sadness, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your life-giving word to us. Lord, would you open our eyes through the power of your Holy Spirit to see you this morning afresh for who you are, to see ourselves for who we are and our need of Christ. Father, we pray that you would speak to us in this time as only you can. It's in the name of our Savior we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The kingdom of God is a major theme throughout the book of Luke, and this theme continues in the passage that we're looking at today. Luke has had much to say and to teach us in the last two chapters about the kingdom of God, especially beginning in chapter 17, verse number 20 through 37. There, Luke taught us about the nature and the characteristics of the kingdom of God, what it would be like, how it would come about, what uh, the followers of Christ are to understand about the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ and what that looks like. 
we learn that the kingdom of God has an already and a not yet reality to it, the rule and reign of Christ. Jesus has inaugurated his kingdom with his coming in the person and work of Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago. He is ruling, he is reigning, we know right now as we are here. Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord. Through his death on the cross, we can now enter into the kingdom of God through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. We can enter that kingdom now through the work of Christ, but also there's a not yet aspect to it, a future reality that we know the scripture speaks about. It is not yet fully here. Jesus is not yet fully reigning like he will in the future. We are living in what the scriptures call this in-between time times of the kingdom, in between the first and second coming. The scripture refers to it as the last days. Chapter 18, as Luke is continuing here, began with teaching us how to approach God in the kingdom of God. How do we approach him with prayer in his kingdom? We saw that we're to pray persistently. We're to pray not losing heart. We're to make our requests known to God. We're to come humbly. Luke was very clear on how we come to God, humbly with contrition. We don't come self-righteously like the Pharisees that we saw, confident in their own achievements and looking down upon others. But rather, Luke says, we come to God in the kingdom of God like a little child, for it is to such that the kingdom of God belongs to. And in today's passage, Jesus is teaching his followers and he is teaching us about how we come into the kingdom. How is it you enter into the kingdom of God? How do we, in other words, inherit eternal life? How are our sins forgiven? If you've been around the church for a while, then you're probably familiar with this passage. It's recorded in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this event. And Luke here, he puts it here to continue his instruction on the kingdom and to clearly teach how one does and does not enter into the kingdom of God. So we're going to see that clearly in this passage, and then he's going to conclude it. Jesus says he's teaching here with how it is so worth it to follow Jesus and to be his disciple. So we're going to break this passage into three main points where we see Jesus interacting with this uh, rich ruler and what he is going to teach us. First thing that we see is Jesus exposes the heart of idolatry. Jesus exposes the heart of of idolatry. In verse 18, we're introduced to this man simply described as a ruler. We can call him the rich young ruler because Matthew tells us that he is young. Luke tells us that he's a ruler and they all tell us that he was rich. In fact, we're told uh, in this passage that he is extremely rich. This man might have been one of the officials that was in charge of a local synagogue, although it's hard to know for certain. He could have been an influential wealthy man or civic leader, not necessarily in charge of a uh, uh, religious things or institution. It's just hard to know. But either way, this man was looked up to by others. He was a leader. 
He's a wealthy man. He was well-known, would be well-liked, well-respected. This is a man that was upstanding, a good example for others to follow in the way that he sought to keep the commandments of God. And he asked Jesus a good question. It doesn't come across to me or to others that this was any sort of malicious uh, type of question that he's asking Jesus. He simply comes in verse number 18 and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's, that's a pretty good question, right? I, as followers of Christ, if somebody came up and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You'd be like, hey, this is starting off pretty well. That is good. That's a great question. This ruler had probably heard Jesus teach, as we'll see, he's versed in the Old Testament teachings of the Bible. He's a good Jew. So he comes to Jesus to get the answer, and Jesus' response is a little surprising. He first takes issue with the man calling him good, as in good teacher, and Jesus sort of deflects, and he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And so here, here goes Jesus doing the Jesus-type things that Jesus does when he knows people and he interacts with others. Uh, as you can imagine, people get all hung up and been out of shape on this of saying, uh, well, Jesus is saying he is not good here. Uh, obviously, Jesus is showing, uh, critics will say here, that Jesus has sinned. He said, no one's good except God alone, meaning I'm not God, I'm not good, I have sin, etc. Well, uh, that, the Bible completely contradicts that. Jesus responds this way because he's interacting with this man in particular, and he knows this man's heart, and we can see where this guy is from the rest of the conversation. In fact, this man actually thought he was good. And so Jesus immediately jumps right on that in his conversation with this man. Jesus tells him from the very beginning, look, there is no one good except God. So Jesus isn't speaking here about his own deity. He's having a conversation with this man. He's saying, no one is good. And basically this man is getting ready to say, I'm good. I'm good. And so Jesus, knowing his heart, right off the back said, look, no one is good except God alone. And then you know what this man is going to say by, yes, I did this. Yes, I did that. He's saying, I'm a good person. So Jesus is jumping out in front of him. Jesus rattles off some of the 10 commandments here, the seventh, the sixth, the eighth, the ninth, the fifth, in that order. Jesus says, keep the commandments. Commandments he knows this ruler has not kept. And then in verse 21, we get to the response of this rich young ruler. He says there, and right kind of to all our surprise as we're reading this, Jesus says, keep these. And he says, all, all these I've kept from my youth. From a young age, whether that be whenever in the Jewish uh, mind of that time, whether 11 or 12 of coming up to the law and receiving the law and following in obedience, he says, I, I have done all of these. And we hear that, right? We read that and we're just kind of smacked. We're like, oh, where's Jesus going to go with this? We, man, this guy, he's, he's off in his understanding. I imagine in his mind, this rich ruler is thinking, do not commit adultery, he thinks, yep, I've done that. I've not slept with another man's wife. I've been faithful. Do not murder. Hey, I've not murdered anybody. Check. Don't steal. Check. Yep, I've not stolen uh, something from somebody else. Do not bear false witness. Nope. 
I have not lied about somebody else. Honor your father and mother. Yeah, I take care of them. I respect them. I've done that, Jesus. Something like that's probably going through his mind. So what does Jesus do? Does he argue with him about his flawed understanding of the law? Like in Matthew chapter five, to pull up to him what it is to truly be angry and murder and to connect those things. Well, he very well could have, but he didn't. Instead, Jesus places his finger right on the spot of what this man was trusting in. Verse number 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, one more thing, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, is this some new commandment for salvation that you might just now be hearing about or you didn't hear about this? In order to be saved, you need to sell all that you have, give it to the poor and PDR, and you will be saved. That is not what Jesus is doing here. But what Jesus is doing is he's telling this man what to do to inherit eternal life. And this man, here's the point, he does not trust Jesus. This man had money, we see that. He was rich. And just picture it for a moment, just slow down and put yourself maybe as one of the disciples or somebody there at this scene. The disciples are there, there's probably a crowd. This very influential, looked up to man comes to Jesus and he asks them this great question, what must I do, Jesus, to inherit eternal life? What must I do? do. He looked Jesus right in the eyes and asked this question to him. And Jesus looks right back in the eyes of this man and he says, sell all that you have, give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven more than you could ever imagine. And you will have eternal life and come and follow after me. For you to say yes to that, you would first have to trust Jesus and believe his promise to grant you salvation. You would have to trust in what he said. And basically, this man would trust in Jesus, but not if Jesus asked him to give away all his possessions. When confronted with that, the rich ruler didn't really trust in Jesus at all. It says in verse 23, but when he heard these things, he became very sad. This man was sad for he was, as the text says, extremely rich. He thought he had kept what he needed to keep. And why would he need to sell everything in order to enter the kingdom of God? Why would that be the case? So he was sad, sad because he was rich. That's something to think about, isn't it? He was extremely rich. We could say this rich young ruler disagreed with Jesus. Jesus, you want me to do that? You want me to do something that is very hard, very painful to follow after you? 
You want me to trust you that much to give away everything I have and to follow after you? You want me to do that? No, Jesus. No, Jesus, I can't do that. That's too much. You're asking too much of me to give away all that I have, to give myself and follow after you. It's too much. I'm not going to do it. I'm sad over this. You see what Jesus is doing is he is exposing the idolatry of this man's heart. He would rather have his money and know Jesus than no money and Jesus. That is what idolatry is. Wanting something more than you want Jesus. Idolatry is worshiping anything that has been created instead of the one who has created it. What's Jesus' response to this man in verse number 24? Jesus, it says, looking at him with sadness, and I just want to put a pause right there for just a second. Do you notice the, that response that Jesus had before his words are recorded? He sees this man, he's there. He tells him what to do. He already knows this man's heart. And he's laying this out before him. And this man was not going to do it. And he was sad. And it says that Jesus was saddened. Jesus saw this man and he was sad. In Mark's account, it says there that Jesus loved this man. Jesus was saddened because he saw this man's sinful plight. And even after Jesus, even after this man had basically told Jesus, nope, not gonna trust in you, what was Jesus' response? He is sad over the sinful state of mankind. That just tells you a lot about our savior, Jesus. His love, his care, his compassion. Jesus didn't have an ego to defend. He had a heart that was compassionate and saddened by sin. He loved this man enough to tell him the truth. That's what we see him doing next in these verses. How that ought to emulate us as followers of Jesus when we call others to believe in him and trust in him and they reject that, what is our response? It shouldn't be somehow to defend ourselves or, or, or to try to uh, be you know, one up on top of them and in sort of a, a, a game of truth and who is right and wrong. He is saddened by the state of sin. So also we should be saddened in that state of others. Jesus continues there. He says, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> what Jesus says, as we're going to see, shocks the disciples. He takes their understanding of riches and wealth and he turns it completely on its head. The only gear the disciples and those there had for wealth, the only gear they could think about was blessing. Wealth was blessing. If you had money, if you had means, you were doing good. That is great, that is good, that is a blessing. But Jesus teaches them about the deceitfulness of riches. He teaches them about how wealth can numb the senses and make one think they don't need God's grace. 
Jesus says it's difficult for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of God, to be saved and to inherit eternal life. He says, you know what? It's actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to come into my kingdom. Namely, i.e., it's impossible, right? The camel was the largest animal in Palestine and the eye of a needle would have been the smallest thing that you had and work with each day. How can you fit a camel through the eye of a needle? You know, no, we're not talking about blend it up, make it small. You can drop it little drop by drop through the eye of the needle. You can figure out something, right, to make this work. Or some people, maybe you've heard the teaching that there was a gate called the eye of the needle and the camel had to get down, take its luggage off and unpack its luggage and get on its knees and you come in humbly. That's not what is being spoken of here because Jesus says in the next verse here that would contradict that, it's impossible. That's the point of what Jesus is saying. It's impossible, it can't happen. Jesus is warning his disciples and he is warning us about the dangers of riches, of wealth and possessions. Listen, we need to have a category in our minds, wealth and money is dangerous. Money is dangerous. Money can actually be a curse and not a blessing. Having money, being able to buy big houses, to buy stuff, whatever that word stuff means to you. We've all got different definitions of stuff. This young ruler had money, he had means, and that money, at the end of the day, kept him from following Jesus. And money still keeps people from following Jesus today. We all need to check our hearts and our lives this morning. In the parable of the sower, it was the seed that was thrown among the thorns that grew for a time, but ultimately didn't last. Why? The deceitfulness of riches choke the word. The deceitfulness of riches, of money, of wealth come in and choke the work and the word of God. You see, money will give you a false sense of security. Remember for just a moment, this rich young man was a religious man, an upstanding man. We're not talking about somebody in society that is rich because they've done this and they own it all and how riches has deceived them. There's categories for that as well. But what we're talking about, this is somebody we could say in the church, in the community of God, that is looked to be, to seem to be blessed because of all that he has. He's seeking to keep the commandments. But he was deceived. We'll get to that in just a moment. I just want us to see that this was a church going man. And he was fine with following Jesus just so long as he got to keep most of the money that he had. Now, last I've checked, like if somebody's sharing the gospel with you, um, they probably did not say, you need to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and church building programs and good things like that and Follow Jesus and you'll have eternal life and you will do well. 
I doubt if you've been told that, in fact, red flags will start flying all the, all the way up, right? If that's what you heard about coming into the kingdom of God, give away all your money to enter in. That's, that's not what we do, right? This, the, the WWJD just doesn't work here, right? This is what Jesus would do to others. We can't really do this with others, right? This is Jesus' thing. This is what Jesus has done. But, but how easy it is for us to be religious and comfortable and to think that we can hang on to whatever it is we want to hang on to and give to Jesus whatever portion we think we can give to him. That Jesus can speak to us in this matter of our life, but he, but he really can't speak to us in this matter of our life. Maybe give a little here, give a little there. But brothers and sisters, we must beware. Riches are dangerous. Money is dangerous. I know it could, could it happen again, but what if, and this is always a dangerous thing to do, right? What if in your own life, Jesus said to you, give it all away and follow me. Give it all away. Your retirement, Cle clear out your bank accounts and follow after me. I wonder if we're, we're just so quick to say, now Jesus is using the law here to, to show him this, this would, you know, Jesus would never call on a person to do that. No, Jesus knew exactly what he is doing and that is in fact what Jesus calls all of his followers to do, is to die to themselves and follow after him. I would just say young people in particular here this morning, would you just hear how dangerous the Bible speaks about riches? about giving over your life, because that's just the air we breathe, especially in this nation, in this time, in this place. Do what you do to make, make this. You need to make that so you can make this, so you can have that. And you can get caught up into giving your life to doing what you do. So your point and your aim is let me have stuff. Let me have money. Let me go to a school that will get me to this place that I can have this so that I can have money and I can, be, I can feel good about myself. I can be secure. I, I can be secure, we, we, we gotta have this we, for, for, for kids to come, we've gotta have this, we gotta know it, we gotta have it all planned out. I wanna get this for my security and then I'll be able to do stuff. Well, just ask people who have a lot of money, how much do you need? Well, just a little bit more. I need a little more. It's a never ending cycle. Beware of riches, the Bible calls us to seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to us from Christ. You've heard us say it before, the best way to fight against the deceitfulness of riches is to have open hands and to give it away. To not hold on to it tightly, but to hold on to our money loosely. I pray that we would have a biblical perspective and understanding of wealth and of money. One commentator speaking about these verses, he said, attachment to God requires detachment from the world and that is not easy. The world calls us to hold on to our stuff. It's our stuff, we earned it, it's my stuff, I keep it and it makes me happy and I like having stuff and I want some more stuff. I'll sell my stuff to get more stuff and better stuff. 
instead of viewing these things as God has made us owners of these things. He's given us all of these things to use in the kingdom of God. This Jesus here, this rich young ruler, is putting his finger, putting his finger on this man's idolatry. He's exposing this heart. The second thing Jesus does is he explains the way of salvation in verse 26 and 27. The response of the disciples, of course, and again was shock, right? It was shock. Verse number 26, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Why would they say that? Then who can be saved? Because they're thinking along the lines of if you had money, that was obviously a blessing from God. And if you're saying somebody that's blessed of God can't be saved, then what about the rest of us? Who, who can be saved if this is the point? Jesus uses this to make a point to them in verse 27. He said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. <laughs> so Jesus takes them and he teaches them something about coming into the kingdom of God and he talks about salvation. Salvation is impossible for mankind, but it is possible with God. We see Jesus teaching here clearly salvation is all of grace. Salvation is all of God's doing. We have as much a chance of saving ourselves as a camel going through the eye of a needle. Jesus teaches us, all the Bible teaches us, we're not saved based upon our doing or our keeping. We are only saved based upon the unmerited, undeserved, unwarranted, unfair, unearned grace of Jesus. This rich young ruler thought he could do something to receive eternal life. What must I do, he asked. He deceived himself into thinking he could keep the law of God and be saved. He hadn't read Matthew 5, 21 through 48, where Jesus equates anger and talking bad about somebody with murder, where Jesus equates lusting after someone with adultery. This man thought he was a law keeper. Jesus was showing him he is a law breaker. We do not come into the kingdom. We do not inherit eternal life by doing this or keeping that commandment. No, the root comes before the fruit. We don't obey to be saved. We obey because we are saved. It is impossible for us to save ourselves. But praise the Lord that what is impossible for us is possible with God. So Jesus uses this interaction to expose this man's idolatry. Jesus uses this interaction with this rich young ruler to teach about the way of salvation. And lastly, here we see Jesus encourages the path of discipleship in verse 28 to 30. If the disciples were there and they had a question of clarification, you know who's gonna speak up. And in verse number 28, we see that Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. Peter 
is making this statement, but I, I think it's also a sort, sort of question that he's asking. He's wanting clarification and validation that they are in the kingdom, that they are not like this rich young ruler. I think you can kind of hear that behind his statement to Jesus. See, we've, we've left everything to follow you. Kind of with, it's right? Are we on the, are we on the right path? Are we in? We're not like this rich young ruler. The ESV has here, we left our homes and followed you. Homes is literally just saying one's own. Saying we've left our own. Meaning your, your, your property, stuff. One of my favorite words, you've left your, we've left our stuff. We, what was I or ours, we have left things that they had, what was theirs. Peter's saying, we left it. We left our lives to follow you. Remember, Peter was a fisherman and he dropped his nets and he followed after Jesus. And what is Jesus's response to Peter and the disciples? He is going to encourage them here and clarify the reality of the path that they're walking on. And you notice Jesus is, is also clear, not just to give this to the, to the disciples in front of them, he expands it to everyone, right? Look at what he says in verse 29. He said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one, no one who has left house or wife. So he's saying, this is true of all of my followers, everyone in the kingdom. There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus is basically saying here, following me is worth it. Here is this rich young ruler who is clinging to his stuff but I want you to know that when you give up your rights to everything and follow after me, you will receive many times more than what you have given up in this life, an eternal life. Just think about, Jesus is giving a point of clarification here. Just think about this for a minute, just for a second. Think about uh, on your phones or something, think about Google Maps for just a moment and think about zooming out. You ever zoom out and you see the whole world, the globe, all right? Think about that for just a minute, zoom out. You have the whole globe there and then you start pinching and zooming in all the way to Jerusalem and you come down to this little town and then you have this man, this rich young ruler who is there that owns some stuff in that area. So he's got lands, he's got money, he's got things. And Jesus tells this man, follow after me, follow after me and you will have, you will have everything. You will have everything. The, the, the God who made it all and is over all the world and over all the cattle on a thousand hills and everything in between says, follow me and I'll give all of this to you. And you have this rich man there who says, no, I've got this. I'm not gonna give, give this stuff up for all that. I've got this, I'm gonna cling to this. What Jesus is doing here is he's showing them the perspective. Look, look, those who follow after me, I am telling you will not receive many times more. We will receive more, 
more than you have, more than you give up, you'll get more than that following after me. Of course, there was a, as Jesus is speaking this to his followers, there was a particular path that the disciples were called to, to follow the person of Jesus during his earthly ministry. We're not called to do that like the disciples were to follow after him. But what Jesus is saying is very clear. We are called to forsake all and follow Jesus with our lives, with obedience to him, to follow his calling upon us and our lives. And listen, when you give up your desires and seek to live in obedience to Jesus's instruction, you will find more joy and more pleasure than you could ever have made happen for yourself. When you follow after Jesus and give up your desires and say, I want my desires to be his desires, Jesus is saying, it's gonna be a whole lot more joyful than you sitting there holding on to your little things thinking, ah, look at all I've got, I'm not giving it up when the God who is over all the world is saying, give that little thing up and follow me. I own all of this. When Jesus spoke here of leaving wife or children, I don't think he's calling us to, you know, if you're married to abandon your wife and follow after Jesus and say, peace out, I'm following Jesus. That contradicts so much of what the Bible teaches. It's more along the lines, I think, especially in the lines of application of us thinking about this here, it's more along the lines of giving up having them. What if following after Jesus means remaining single and not being married or not having children? What if being faithful to Jesus, and, and I don't know these things, the Lord knows them. He knows you personally, your walk with him. I'm just asking a question. What if following after Jesus means, means that, of not having things? I just simply put it before you, will you still follow him? Will you still follow after him? What if it means not having children or maybe not being able to live around your children or all of those family sort of dynamics and the Lord's call upon you, will you still follow after him? What if it means giving up a particular lifestyle? Would you rather hold on to that or follow Jesus? Jesus simply coming here in this passage and he's saying, look, following after me is worth it. It's worth it. And those of you who have given up things and followed after Jesus, you know this to be a reality in your life. Jesus gives more. Blessings are found in obedience to him. Some of the most encouraging times, especially a home group or interaction with other people is just hearing other people talk about in their lives how they've sought to live in obedience to Jesus and the Lord has just blessed them beyond measure. Of having peace, going through circumstances, of knowing Jesus, of Jesus providing for things, of you, of you giving up and thinking you're just giving this up and Jesus just heaps blessing upon blessing. Maybe it's friendships, maybe it's other things in your life. A deep-seated peace that the Bible talks about that can only come from Jesus that he gives to those who follow after him. 
Will you give up what needs giving up and follow after Jesus? I don't know what it is that you are struggling with in your life today. It may be money, it may be the pursuit of money. It may be a man, it may be a woman, a career path, a lack thereof. It may be fearing what others think of you or fear of being viewed as some sort of fanatic who follows Jesus. There's as many of these things as there are of us in the room. Whatever you're dealing with in your life, there is nothing that you could give up for the sake of the kingdom of God and obedience to him that will not be replaced many times over in this life. Listen again, God owns it all. The God who owns it all has called to us and said, give up your life and follow after me. And this passage ends with where it began, speaking about eternal life. The ruler had it wrong. Jesus exposed his heart of idolatry. Jesus taught him and us about the way of salvation. It's through only what God could do that is impossible, not you doing something to enter into this kingdom. And Jesus ends by encouraging us that following after him is worth it. More blessings that you could ever have without him in this life. This man was seeking for eternal life as it states. And at the end of this, Jesus tells him, follow me, give it up, come after me. You will have blessing in this life and in the age to come, eternal life question stands before you and before me, will you follow him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage today. Father, thank you for this passage that exposes our own sinfulness, our own hearts. Father, would you help us in our lives to see the dangers of wealth, the dangers of anything in our life that we might place before following in obedience to you. Father, would you help us to have a proper biblical perspective that following after you brings joy unending following after Jesus brings eternal life. Father, any here this morning who is not trusting in Jesus that he died on the cross for their sins, Father, would you give them grace and do what is impossible for us to do but possible to, for you? Would you give us eyes to see our sin would you give us grace and strength to run to Jesus Christ in faith, to believe in your promise to save us and forgive us from our sins? We give you all praise, confessing it's all from your hand. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.